Right, just going to ask the, uh, the welcome team, let's come and bring our offerings right now. And, uh, you know, there's kind of like this spectrum from uh, this is all mine, I own it all, right way through to a spectrum of it's all his and I do with it what he wants me to do, okay? So that's the spectrum. Sometimes in on this end of the spectrum, it is, it's all mine, and then you sort of go, oh, I feel obligated to tip, to tip God. Others might be watching. God might be watching. God doesn't want an obligated people to be giving. And then the next stage on this, an obedient people. Well, I ought to give the 10% prescribed, and it's not about obligation. Okay, this is about a heart. This is a heart thing. Now, I'm not at the 100% yours, God. Everything is yours. Okay, and some people might be. You know, I heard of someone recently when God said to them, give your house then to someone else. And they did. I'm not quite at that end of the spectrum. In fact, I'm a long way from that end of the spectrum. That, that same people learnt, grew to that place. Okay, they, they gave a car away. Then they're given, and they've now given 29 cars away. So when the Lord said to you, I will provide you, with a house. They believed him. So that's in that journey to say, God, you will supply all of my needs. It's a faith thing. So when we come and bring our offerings now, this is not a law thing. Some people say, oh, I don't believe in that. It's a law thing. No, it's not a law thing. This is a heart thing. So, Father, just as we come now and bring our offerings to you, some people, many people here will do that via bank standing orders and things like that. Others people now. We'll be putting it into this bucket right now. Father, we don't want it to be a sense of obligation and we don't want it to be obedience. We want it to be a heart thing right now. And I pray that, Father, we get into a place where we really believe you when we say that you'll supply all of our needs, including cars and houses and all the stuff that we think that we need. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's come and do that. As the bucket goes by, some of you just let it go by. That's, that's absolutely fine. But if you are regularly giving by a bank standing orders. Why don't you just pause a moment and say, God, I get to be with you. Uh, in case I haven't met you, my name is Graham. I have the privilege of leading the team here at King's, which incorporates, includes Seaford. So it's lovely. Whenever I come to Seaford, it is always amazing weather. So that is good news. All right. And I, I don't remember ever coming to Seaford in the rain. So I'm sure, it, you know, perhaps it's just, it never rains here. And uh, only on Wednesdays. Okay. So we've been going through a letter that was written to a church. Uh, what's the name of the letter? Anyone start with a 10? Quick quiz question. What letter have we been looking at or book in the Bible we've been looking at? Galatians. Okay, bit of a clue there. We've been going through this letter and we won't do much of the backstory if you're new in here today. It was a letter that was being written to uh, a church community in southern Turkey a Roman province, and he was writing to them to say, basically, truth matters, you guys. You've been hoodwinked. You've been conned into believing something that isn't true. Truth really matters. Let me tell you what the truth is and, uh, uh, you know, and why that really matters. And so we've been looking at that. I think you've covered the uh, first four chapters of this book or this letter that was written. Strangely, the next little bit, which is chapter 5, 1 through to about 13, you're doing next week. Okay, so I'm doing from 13 onwards this week. It's just to confuse you, okay? But that's just how it worked out with, uh, with Jez not being here and me being here 
But uh, there's so much overlap that takes place. You might have been following the news, and I just checked the news just beforehand whether there was any update on this, with terms of what's happening in Zimbabwe right now. Uh, some of you are very personally involved because relatives are living in Zimbabwe. I've been watching on. I've got a real heart connection with the country because I know a number of people and love a number of people, and we're visiting uh, Zimbabwe early part of next year. And uh, been watching on and just seeing what has happened with this dictator who seems to have lost the grip of power uh, in the country and people are moving in and there was a massive demonstrations that were taking place which turned into, it said, like sort of celebrations, party. There was a change of mood that is taking place that uh, at one time they would have absolutely lived in fear of making any demonstrations and now they were walking out, marching out, saying this is a time for change. And some of the quotes I was reading yesterday say, you know, the fear has gone, okay? The, the regime, the fear of the regime has gone. And, and, the, and another quote was saying, this is our day of liberation, which was often referred to back in, was it 1980, that it became independent. This is our day of independence. And people were quoting that yesterday, this is our day of independence. For 37 years we've been stuck under an old regime and this is our day of independence. I'm watching on, I'm waiting to see what happens and I'm praying and I'm joining with many millions of people praying for what takes place in that country. This is the day of independence, day of liberty, day of freedom. Chapter 5 of this letter, Paul starts off with his amazing words. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore, do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. No longer submit to that old dictator. No longer. You no longer have to live in fear of the old dictator. You no longer have to live in subject to the rules of the old dictator. Think of it. Mugabe, no fear. No longer have to submit to Mugabe any longer. Imagine what that looks like. Get out. Leave the old life. Grab the opportunity. And Paul is saying that. Like, don't squander this chance. Okay? You, you've been given something here. Don't squander it. You know, th th previously, yeah, th there was this, th there was a requirement for obedience to the law, not to try and earn merit and favor with God, but there was this, the obedience to the law was to demonstrate that you could never fully fulfill it, you could never achieve, you would never please the old ruler, the old dictator, but the old dictator's gone. It's turned around now. So, to what? Why does this affect me? Talking about Zimbabwe, talking about back in the day with Paul Ryan says, what difference does that make for me? Well, the 8 million people are so in Zimbabwe, the majority of those people in that country have no idea what it is to live under a different rule. And it's the same for many Christians. Although Jesus has proclaimed freedom, liberation, independence, <laughs> no longer slaves to the demands of the law, you're still living under the shadow of it, with fear, with uncertainty, with insecurity. Can I really believe this? Am I really free? Is it really Jesus plus nothing? I don't need anything else. See, Many of us have no idea what life is like under a new ruler called Jesus. And so we're still living under the old. 
And then in verse 7, Jez, <laughs> remember this next week when Jez talks about it. In verse 7, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? You were doing really well. Things were going great. And then suddenly you get sidetracked. Uh, there was this group of people, the circumcision party, who were misleading the people. They were selling them a lie. And the lie was taking them out. The thing is, when we start to listen to a lie, it's so easy it can just take us out of the game. You're a failure. What if they really find out? And suddenly you're taken out of the game. Why? Because you're doing well. You're running. Imagine the rugby game. You've got the ball. You might have been watching the England match yesterday. You've got the ball. You're running for the line. And you think you're going to be making that try. And suddenly, bang, someone comes in on the side of you. You manage to stay on your feet. And you're still staggering towards the line. And then somebody else comes in on the other side and takes you down. You were running well. Get, get that impression of what Paul is saying? You were doing so well. Then what happened? Someone came in on the side and took you out of the game. Being sidetracked. But Paul's encouragement is run. Run. Keep running. Run in obedience. Now, then, that could cause some confusion for some of us. Because so far in all of this teaching series that we've been going on about, we've been saying, hey, it's about Jesus plus nothing. You don't need anything else. And now Paul is coming in saying, oh yeah, and obedience. Is it Jesus plus obedience? Isn't that a contradiction? Isn't there a conflict that is going on there? Because Paul has made it very clear that obedience to the law has changed nothing. See, being moral, doing the right thing, did nothing to help you in your status or your position with God. We've been banging on about that for weeks. But now you're saying obedience somehow matters. How come? Because doing the right thing is still the right thing. Obeying the law, God's rule, how God wants us to live out our life, is still valid. The law is still valid. The, how God wants us to live is still valid. It hasn't been erased. Suddenly, so you're standing on the streets of Zimbabwe. And it looks like the old authority is gone. Does that mean you can run and mock and run into the the capital of Harare or, or other cities like Bulawayo. And suddenly you can go and break the windows and loot the shops because you're now free from the rule of law. Paul is saying, no, you misunderstand it. If you think that you can now just go and do what you want, then you've actually misunderstood what the freedom has been given to you. You've misunderstood grace. Because you now have a new motivation in life. Now you go, is that confusing? See, what he's trying to say is don't lose your freedom. Don't lose your gospel freedom. But at the same time, don't abuse gospel freedom. And that's where we pick it up from verse 13. I'm sure with Jez in the next two weeks, we'll be covering that much more. Verse 13, for you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. See, the danger. The law locked it into fear. Am I ever going to be good enough? Grace, if misunderstood, could lock, unlock you into a license of being able to do what you want. If we have been speaking or preaching properly on any of these weeks. Was it you last week, John? Yeah. 
if John preached properly last week, okay, it should start to make you feel uncomfortable. Not just listening to John, although I heard you were very good. It should make you feel uncomfortable. Why? Because it sounds as if what we're saying is anything goes. Grace, anything goes. It's party time. Let's look really bad because it will make God look even better. Move in with who you want to, sleep with who you want to, smoke what you want to. This is how Paul addressed it to a church in Rome. He said, so what do we do? Do we keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? Oh, hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Oh, didn't you realize we packed up and we left there for good? See, your old life, it's gone. You've moved on. You're now living in this new life. And why on earth would you want to go back there? Think of the refugees who are fleeing places like Syria at the moment. Why on earth would you want to go back to that old life? You're now in a new life. He doesn't want us to make the mistake of thinking... Being not guilty also means not being holy. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Verse 3, no longer obligated to the law. Verse 7, who hindered you from, from obedience? It's not a contradiction in there. The difference here, let me explain it, is, is the motivation. But we just took the offering a few moments. Didn't take it, actually we just, <laughs> we brought our offering. We don't take the offering, we bring our offering. We brought our offering, not out of obligation, not out of obedience, but we brought our offering out of a heart response. So understanding the gospel and understanding grace changes our motivation for how we live. We live in order to put a smile on God's face. My Auntie Sandra, bless her, very kind Auntie Sandra who offered to give me £10 million recently. Well, she didn't. That was just a, a dream in preaching illustration she'd heard that I run up a hundred thousand pound in gambling debt and was about to lose my home and was going to be declared bankrupt imagine my auntie Sandra sending me a check for a hundred and fifty thousand pounds thank you I love my auntie Sandra because after I clear the debt how do I now spend the rest of my money on the 330 at Newmarket or do I spend it in such a way that is going to bring a smile on my auntie Sandra's face because it's not out of an obligation I have to, I ought to, Auntie Sandra has ordered me to, but out of a desire to show my gratitude towards her. It's just, Auntie Sandra, it's, I, I want to spend this now in such a way which just honours you. I want to put a smile on your face. Paul is saying this, look, don't use your freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want, to indulge in sinful activity. Rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Why? Because it puts a massive smile on God's face. Don't get credit, you don't get merit, but it just brings pleasure because you're now motivated to live differently. The question or the difficulty comes, if you don't want to do this, if you don't want to say, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I'm going to give my life to God, and then you choose to live your life your way, Paul is pretty hard on this. He says, look, look, if you have no desire to submit and say yes to God, and you want to carry on living how you want to live, then the indications are that you never really understood grace. The reality is probably you're not a Christian. Because if you do understand grace, you will have a desire within you to actually live in a way that God now, it, he wants you to live. 
doesn't mean we're perfect. doesn't mean we don't make mistakes. But if we don't have this underlying desire within us, then it's questionable whether we've ever really met Jesus in the first place. How do I explain that? You see, because simply you could just be taking out an insurance policy to save God your future, cover all the bases. I, rem- I remember when I was 13. I remember the moment when I understood for the very first time about Jesus. I remember responding to Jesus. I remember where I was. I remember what time it was. I remember how Jesus had forgiven me. And I willingly gave my life to Jesus. Who else has given their life to Jesus? Did you see the irony in that? The irony is that the way that you find your freedom is by enslaving yourself to another. Freedom to another. Back in the 1800s, an Englishman traveled to California in search of gold, and after several months, he struck it rich. And on his way home, he stopped off in New Orleans, and he didn't have long time to visit, but he came across a crowd, and they were all looking in the same direction, and he approached the crowd, And they recognized that they were gathering for a slave auction. Slavery had been outlawed, abolished within England for a number of years, but it hadn't in the U.S. So he he stood around with curiosity, drew to watch as a person became someone else's property. He heard the word sold just as he joined the crowd. And a middle-aged black man was taken away. Next up, a beautiful young black girl was pushed onto the platform and was made to walk around so that everyone could see her. The miner, the Englishman, had heard the vile jokes and the comments, and spoke of the evil intentions from those around, what they were going to do to her if they won her. And the bidding began. Within a minute, the bid surpassed what most slave owners would pay for a black girl. And as the bidding continued higher and higher, it was apparent that two men were wanting her. And in between their bids, they were laughing at what they were going to do with her and how the other one was going to be missing out. And the Englishman stood silent as anger welled up within inside him. And finally, one man laid a, a bid that was beyond the reach of the other. And the girl looked down and the auctioneer called out, going once, going twice. And just before the final call, the Englishman yelled out a price that was exactly twice the amount. An amount that exceeded the worth of anyone. And the crowd laughed, thinking that the Englishman was just joking. <laughs> British sense of humor. Wishing that he could have the girl himself. And the auctioneer motioned the Englishman to him to show him, show me the money. <laughs> and he opened up the bag of gold. And the auctioneer shook his head in disbelief and he waved the girl over to him. The girl walked down the steps until she was eye to eye with him. Then she spat straight in his face and said, I hate you. (coughs) The Englishman, without a word, wiped his face, paid the auctioneer, took the girl by the hand and walked away from the laughing crowd. He walked and was looking for something in particular. And as they walked up one street and down another, he stopped in front of a shop. And though the slave girl didn't know what type of shop it was, she waited outside and the dirty-faced Englishman went inside. 
and started talking to the elderly man. She couldn't make out what was being said, but at one point the voices got louder and she overheard the store clerk say, but it's the law, it's the law. And she looked in and she saw the Englishman pull out a bag of gold and pour the rest of it out onto the table. And with that, with a look of disgust, the clerk picked, picked up the gold, went into the back room and he came out with a piece of paper and both here and the Englishman signed it. And the young girl looked away as the Englishman came out the door and stretched out his hand and said to the girl, here you are, here's your release papers, you're free. The girl didn't look up. And he said again, here, these are your papers to say that you are free, take them. I hate you, said the girl. Why do you make fun of me? No, listen, these are your freedom papers, you are a free person. And the girl looked at the papers and then looked at him and looked at the papers again, and you just bought me and now you are setting me free. And the Englishman said this, that's why I bought you. I bought you to set you free. else but then clutching onto him and falling down before him and clutching his muddy boots the girl looked up at the miner to the Englishman and said I'm coming with you that's when we understand grace that's when we walk in obedience See, previously I tried to do what was right to get rewarded for good behavior, but now there's this new motivation within us. It's not a, a reward for how I live, but it's a, a reward because he gave himself for me. So how does that work out in practice? You might have come to faith recently. You might become a Christian recently and you, you had plans to be you know, moving in with your girlfriend and then you realize that living with your girlfriend is not God's plan for your life. It doesn't want you in that kind of relationship and you've got a choice to make. The choice is, do you carry on without any change in your lifestyle? It's okay, God will forgive me. Posh word for that is something called antinomianism, anti-law. No understanding of the grace. No understanding. I just carry on regardless. Reality, you probably don't know Jesus. However, you might be saying, look, it's not right for us to live together because I ought to do what is expected of me. Posh word, legalism. I ought to do what you think I ought to do in order to win approval, either from others or ultimately from God. But then there is a third response. I'm choosing not to move in with you because now I want to please God. Not to earn merit, not to earn credit, but just doing it, doing the right thing, because I want to put a smile on his face. Doing the right thing is always the right thing. But do you know what? Doing the right thing can actually be some of the, sometimes the toughest thing. It can be the toughest thing because, do you know what? Because you're fighting against the old nature. If you're a new Christian, welcome to the war zone. Let's read the next verse, verse 13. But now I say, Paul says, walk by the Spirit. No, verse 16, sorry. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, 
as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I, okay. I grew up as a child in the 70s. No, I did. And I remember a Saturday evening television program that I would watch most weeks, just before Love Boat came out. And that was The Wrestling. Remember The Wrestling? Some of you, I know some of you remember The Wrestling. There was a number of characters in there that I remember clearly. Giant Haystacks, okay? Giant Haystacks was probably about, he seemed about seven foot four. Okay, huge beard. And, uh, and then there was another one called Big Daddy. Big Daddy, he was the favorite. Shirley Crabtree was his name, okay? But not, not when he was actually on, in the ring, on the stage, I was going to say. On the ring, Shirley Crabtree, known as Big Daddy. And whenever Giant Haystacks, everyone hated Big Daddy. But then... Big, uh, sorry, Giant Haystacks. And then Big Daddy would get into the ring and everyone loved Big Daddy and he would do like this kind of like big belly flop splash on top and he'd win and everyone would cheer. It's great. And this wrestling match would go on and you got the bad ones and you got the good ones. Paul is saying, look, welcome to the 70s wrestling match. In the blue corner, you got the old nature. You got your old desires. Okay, You got how you understood. This is how life has been. These old desires are saying to you, this is what you need in life. If you want to be really happy, this is what you need to do. But then over in the other corner, you've got the spirit living inside you, and the wrestling ring is your mind. How, who's going to win? Because you've got one telling you one thing and one telling you another. This is how Paul, again, writing to the people in Rome, he said this. The power of sin within me keeps me from sabotaging my best intentions. I obviously need help. I realize I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, just as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every single time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in with that delight. Part of me, uh, covertly, I'm like a rebel. And just when I least expect it, they take charge. That's the message translation. But it describes so well a struggle that I have in my head. Do you identify with that? You want to do what is right, but you don't do it. And you don't want to do what is wrong, but you end up doing it. You want to live for God. You say, God, I live for you. I live for you. I live for you. And then bang, you're tripped up and you end up doing the very opposite in contradiction to what your spirit nature is telling you. You want to live by the spirit, yet this old sinful nature continues to generate an alternative and a very compelling desires, which we give into, but lives in contradiction how we really want to live. Okay? And that is the battle that is taking place. That, that is just what is happening in many people's lives. And the issue is who, who wins out in the end. Now, that reference where it says desires of the flesh. <laughs> Other translations says the lusts of the flesh. Okay, it sounds like you really ought to go and have a cold shower. It sounds a pretty seedy kind of reference. And, and usually we would go, the lusts of the flesh. Well, it's all about sexual stuff. It isn't. It is not, okay? A better translation... Or more accurate translation back into the kind of the original language isn't just a desire, it's actually more better translated to say an over desire. Maybe an obsessive desire. Something that is controlling you, 
kind of taken the place of Jesus. These over-desires of your flesh against the Spirit. This is going to get tricky. Please hear my heart. Is that we can have over-desires in life that our mind is telling us this is what we really need. To be happy. To be content. Actually, even the language that Paul was using about taking the opportunity, he used it in verse 13. That that word opportunity is uh, is kind of like a, a military term. This is where uh, a military would would begin their action, like a sortie, into action of war. And this would be the launch pad for their action. And he says, look, there's an opportunity here that the enemy who wants to not help us to live in freedom or want to rob us of our freedom, takes an opportunity here to rob you of your freedom. And how does the enemy do that? By tricking you into believing that something that you really need becomes all-consuming in your life. Tragically, sadly, I was with a with a couple last week, and it was a Thanksgiving service, thank you know, children's celebration event, and they just had to leave because they've been desperately trying to have children, and they're going through the process of IVF, and and, and for them it's become this is our number one thing in life. I've got to have children, and her freedom, her joy is being robbed because she can't have children. I would speak to other people, many people's dreams, a dream of being married. And as people get older and have not been married, it becomes their number one thing in life. Over desire. And you get robbed of your joy. It could be in a career. It could be in a passion. Uh, lots of people love a cause, love causes. Look, there's a huge amount of injustice in the world, and we need to stand up to injustice. I get that. But not at the expense of Jesus first. What Paul is saying is that, look, be really careful that the over desires in your life are actually robbing you of the freedom that Jesus wants you to experience. The things that are like so important to you, I must have. This is it. This is what's going to make me happy. This is what's going to make me content. This is it. All these things. Jesus said, just be careful. Look, it's the freedom of Christ to set you free. And this is the tussle that's going on between living for God or living for those desires. Paul is saying it's like this wrestling match. The Spirit is saying, all you need is God to make you happy. But then in the blue corner, our old nature is pushing back saying, you need more. You need a relationship. You need a family. You need to be successful. And the winner is ultimately the one you're going to submit to. See, Paul comes up with his list. Now we can read that list of like a, 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 a naughty list. Or we can read it as a list of, look at, look at the lie that sits behind some of these things. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. You know, I, I, 
you know, I need to have a relationship. M- my, my marriage is dead and it's dull and I'm, I don't have any happiness in my marriage, therefore I've got to go and find that and pursue that happiness so I engage in a relationship which is unbiblical. See, there's a promise there for a better life, but it's just a lie. Idolatry, sorcery. Other lists in there, like drunkenness and orgies. Orgies, actually, in that context, isn't sexual orgies. That is about kind of binge drinking. Drunkenness, binge drinking, addictions. The lie of an addiction, the lie of the drink. To say to get happy, to get you out of this world into another world, take me. Because look, look, you're listening in on stuff that is trying to p- take you away. So you can list, read it as a naughty list, so you can just read it as a bunch of lies which are telling you this is how you get happy in life. And then the Spirit is saying, look, th- if you listen to that, actually, have you noticed that uh, the attitudes that come out of that? Hatred and anger and jealousy and envy. Sadly, I see that. If somebody is passionate about a cause, if I don't believe in that cause, then I'm hated. Get very cross with me if I don't believe what they believe. It changes our attitude. It doesn't help us to live in the freedom. See, the context of this verse is about freedom. God wants you to be free. And with that, he wants you to enjoy the freedom, to be happy, to be content, to be fulfilled, to be satisfied. And the Spirit is saying, you're only going to find that in me, but the flesh is saying, I'm going to find that in something else. And that's where the battle is taking place. Giant haystacks, big daddy, slam. Who's going to win? The one you submit to. You are doing so well, Paul said. What is stopping you? Where are you now? It's hard. It is a struggle. Paul was struggling. And if Paul was struggling, what hope have we got? And then he said, look, I've tried everything and nothing helps, he said in Romans 7. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does, is what verse 25 says. Is there any hope? Well, we see the hope in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Okay, the, the key is here. How do we win our freedom? How do we, you know, how, how, how do we win? So at the moment, there is a battle that is going on, and it's like the Spirit of God is taking in and moving in, and more of your life is becoming much more in line with how God is wanting you to be and live and enjoy. And that there's little pockets of resistance is, is how do we fight against those resistance? It's by the work of the Holy Spirit. So verse 18 says, you were led by the Spirit. Verse 25, you live by the Spirit and then walk by the Spirit. That walk by the, is literally walk in step with the Spirit, like a military march. Walk in step with the Spirit. The key is going to be the Holy Spirit. We have a helper who's in our corner fighting for us. How do we live obedient lives? We have the Spirit. How do we manage to say no to sin? We have the Spirit. How do we become more like Jesus? We have the Spirit. And He's already changing us. How do we live in freedom? We have the Spirit of God inside us. And the proof that we know that the Spirit of God is inside us is the fruit that is being on display, the evidence. 
the evidence that is now being seen. How do we recognize an apple tree? Starts to grow apples. How do we recognize a Christian? We start to grow like Jesus. We have the Spirit. If the Spirit is in you, the helper, if you're a Christian, if you're in Christ, then you have got the helper Holy Spirit fighting in your corner, which is a great place for us to be. Because Paul, when he's writing to Rome, says, I can't do it on my own. No, we don't have to do it on our own. We have the Holy Spirit to help us. Now, that's going to be gradual. It's not instant. Looking at a tree, you don't see a fruit appear magically. It takes a little bit of time. It's inevitable. <laughs> I, have a, I have a tree in our garden that hasn't produced fruit for a long time. Okay, I look at it. If I shout at it, tree, produce fruit, it isn't going to make any difference to that tree. And it's an internal thing that's going on. Because the tree is not producing any fruit. Do you know why? Because it's dead. It's not had its roots in any water. It's dead. In fact, I was going to pull it up and bring it with me today to show you the dead, fruitless tree. If you are in the Spirit, then inevitably the fruit will grow. Okay, that's good news. And it's also symmetrical. What do I mean by that? It's, it, it lists the fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't say fruits. It's not plural. It's a singular thing. Okay, so love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. It's all those things we've got. Now, some of you are naturally very good at being loving. Some of you are rubbish at it. Okay, you know, some of you are not as good at it. Sorry. Okay, but, but this fruit is going to grow. If you've got the DNA of God growing in you, then that's what's going to happen. You're going to grow more loving. Now, the thing is that on his other list, on the other list, he says, look, you're going to have the, the spirit of the flesh. He's going to be saying to you on this side, sexual immorality, unbiblical sex, that is going to make you happy. You, know, you get what you can, where you can, doesn't matter who gets influenced by that. That is a very self-orientated approach to relationship. On the other side, how does Paul counteract that? He says, love. Love for others. Listen to the spirit of flesh, love for yourself. Spirit of God, love for others. Peace, joy. You've got to do this. You've got, you got to go, this is what will make you happy. If you have this, if you have that, if you have the other, that's going to that's gonna make you happy. If you have the marriage, if you have the family, if you have the career, if you have the house, if you have this, that is going to make you happy. Boys, look, it's joy. Joy comes w when you know him independent of your circumstances. And you could bounce off both sides of the list, life in the spirit, fruit of the spirit. Peace. What do you mean I have to have a relationship? I have to sign up to every dating site in order to find the one. God, I'm going to trust you. That you know what you're doing. You are in control of my life. That's probably the most inappropriate time my phone has ever gone off. No, actually, it could have been worse. <laughs> could have been at a funeral, maybe. I'm not sure. But y y okay, we I said to John, if I got on my feet earlier, I'll end up talking for longer, and that's exactly what I've done. The Holy Spirit wants us to live in freedom. God wants us to live in freedom. And this battle that is going on in life, 
which is really just, at the end of the day, a lie of the enemy. Fruit of the Spirit is that we have more of the Spirit, more joy, more love, more peace, more kindness, more gentleness, more humility, more self-control. Because that's what life is like in the Spirit. You don't have to beat yourself up. Okay, It's a gradual thing. We're becoming more like Jesus, and the good news is that he who began a work in you is going to bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. It's going to be done. It's done. Okay, At this moment in time, you'll make mistakes. You'll get it wrong. You're like kind of like a, an imitation of what is really good. You, you're like a, a, a tribute band, but you're not the original. You're playing tributes to the original. Little bits of what you do sound like the original. Little bits of how you live look a little bit like Jesus. And the more we spend time with Jesus, the more we get to know him. The more the life of God is in us, then the more we get to more like Jesus. So don't beat yourself up. okay? But the other flip side of that is, don't be passive either. Respond, God, how do you want me to live today? Help me with your Holy Spirit. So when I walk into that meeting or when I have that conversation, I don't absolutely, uh, always goes like this. You know, I, w- I don't want it to be like that. I want to reflect you. I want to be more like you. I want to be more loving. I want to be, I need your Holy Spirit. I'm just going to have Sarah and, and, and the team to come up. and We're going to sing this song now. But just in the moments that we've got left, I want to come back to this place about the over-desires of our heart. Just while I was preparing this message, it's a difficult, sensitive thing. You say, Graham, you have no idea how painful and difficult it is. No, it's true. Fine for you, Graham, you're married. It's fine for you, Graham, you've got kids. And it's fine for you, you've got the house. And it's fine for you, you've got this, or whatever that is. Please don't get angry with me. Jesus wants to give you freedom. He doesn't want your joy to be robbed. He doesn't want you to be sad. He doesn't want you to be locked in and envious and jealous and resentful. He wants you to know freedom. So Father, just as you guys can play this song, just stop playing in the background. In a moment, we'll go and break bread. It's over-desire in the Old Testament. It used to be a word called idol. The language changes slightly in the New Testament. So an idol is something that takes place of
Jesus say, God, please help me in this. Please help me. I need your spirit. To overcome some of the heartache and the grief and the sadness and the pain, I need your spirit. To overcome some of the anger and the resentment, I need your spirit. Because wherever we are right now, I'm praying for the Holy Spirit comes.